there's like an identity crisis that goes on all the time, right? So like with business owners, they'll decide, um, let's say they just worked really hard. They they're kind of at a place where there's it's been stressful. They're just it's time. Let's sell the company. That they, they sell the company, they get a check, and instead of like letting it settle a little bit, giving it a little moment, it's it's like there's this identity issue of well, no, I'm a business owner. Even though I decided I was going to retire and sell my business, I'm now going to jump into the next thing. Um, so I see this often where I I just tell I tell people the six month rule. Just if you're going to be retired, be retired for six months before you do anything. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Sparrow, who we interviewed a few weeks ago in respect of her role at Wellington Altus Private Wealth. Today, we're going to focus on a few different topics and a few different aspects with Lindsay. Welcome back, Lindsay. Thanks, Heather. Glad to be back. Perfect. I thought that we would talk a little bit today about transitions, life transitions specifically, but also how that relates to maybe some business transitions or some broader implications um, of, of, you know, societal transitions that we might be uh, going through or that we might be thinking about. In our last segment, we spoke about how sometimes it takes a bit of a life event to, you know, to shake up Um, to get someone's attention, to start thinking about their finances a bit differently, or, you know, to start thinking about goal setting or planning in a little bit of a different way. What are the common events that you see where people start to think differently about wealth, about finances, and about, about the planning related to managing those aspects? Yeah, there are, um, I call them sort of like trigger points and some, some things come from things that we want to do and how we want to grow and change. And some things happen to us that maybe we don't really That's want right. or expect. Um, right. So if we go down the path of, of what we're seeing with COVID as an example is, I don't know if it's people had time to do some introspection and and kind of diagnose their 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 life by having a little bit um less busyness but we're seeing i think a lot of people decide that maybe they don't want to be in the careers they're in or that they've spent the last 10 20 years in um we're obviously there's been a lot of transition within companies where they're trying to figure out you know the work from home work from the business so some people who've decided they want to keep working from home might be looking for something different so they can actually keep doing that as their employer tells them they want them to come back so but i think there's um there's your work transition that can happen um so things that happen within your employment um and then there's things like divorce death of a spouse um, having children, um, deciding to retire or maybe being forced into retirement. So these are all like trigger points and, and different things that happen where I think when any big life change happens, finances is one of the biggest things that comes up because the first thing you're going to worry about is your wallet and how prepared or unprepared you are for the life event that's taking place. If you can plan for it, great. But a lot of times these things happen and you weren't able to plan. 
Yeah, it, it, it is really interesting. It's funny that you, um, or it's ironic that you, you said, you know, you call these things sort of these trigger points or these triggering events, because of course, in my world, I, I work with entrepreneurs and business owners, and, and we, I feel like a broken record when I talk to them about, you know, trying to plan for some of these things, plan for the unexpected, right? And, and of course, nobody has a crystal ball, nobody can anticipate exactly uh, when or what will happen. But we talk about having um, for for business owners having a shareholder agreement and one of the big reasons to have a shareholder agreement is to plan for or to anticipate you know these triggering events and i call them the four d's only one of them is really a, a b but you know that you have to work with, with what you have so we have death disability divorce and and debt or bankruptcy can be these events that happen you know mostly unexpectedly in those cases. sometimes you have an inkling that something might happen um, but where those events happen, from a corporate perspective, what happens is that you end up with outsiders who are now potentially running your business or at the table with you. And you never intended to be in business with a trustee in bankruptcy, or you never intended to be in business with, you know, the executor of an estate if your business partner dies. And so there's all these areas when those life transitions happen in your, in your personal life that can have this really negative effect on the ability for the business to sort of to carry on. And so we call those things also triggering events or, or, you know, like those those events that can happen. And there can be others depending on what industry you're in. Like if you lose your license to, you know, to practice optometry, for example, like those kinds of things, other ones can happen. But the four Ds, you know, death, divorce, and, and debt or bankruptcy are sort of universally understood um, and, you know, can have a, obviously an effect on, on business. Um, but as you say, you know, not everybody has a business, but everybody has a life, right? Everybody has a personal life. And the wallet is, is certainly the first, the first thing you're right that people think about. It's interesting to me that the anxiety that those triggering events can have in personal life when you don't know what size of check you may need to write in order to mitigate or to manage those, those events. What do you say to people when they say, oh my God, this, you know, this event has happened and now I'm thinking about my finances. What, like, walk me through that thought process for how you help coach them through those transitions. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing because no one wants to ever plan for the worst case scenario, right? Like, in fact, it's really hard to get people to go down that path and actually do the planning. That's yeah. why, like, you know, when people say they're doing their estate planning, it goes on for seven years because it's just like no one ever wants to really deal with it, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of excuses we make for why we don't go down the path when realistically it's an uncomfortable place. No one wants to think about the what ifs and no one wants to think about worst case scenario. But in the case of, you know, let's talk about a shareholders agreement. No one wants to be in business with someone's ex. Like, that's just not really what you know so most shareholder agreements will you know will deal with some of that um but it's often things that just people don't even want to plan for so in reality um i feel like my job as an advisor i would say there's a lot of advisors that don't like talking about that stuff either whereas me i embrace it because the more you plan for all that stuff the the i mean overall there's no downside because if something happens and you're in crisis if you have a plan, it's just way from an emotional level, from 
from a financial perspective, you're going to be better off by having had done that planning. But in reality, if you if you haven't done any planning that whatever situation you're going through is going to seem so much worse because now you're in crisis, you have major anxiety, major stress and you're worried. So you're not going to necessarily make the best decisions in that moment. And you might, in fact, not really be that easy to work with either. So as your professional team comes in and tries to assist you, we can only do so much if if you're not in the right headspace. So that's why it's so, I think, critical to just accept, embrace that life, like life can happen to us sometimes, whether we want to or not. I say that a lot about marriage too. There's, you know, when you're married, there's, you know, what you see your future, but you never know how the other person might change or will the other person want to be with you forever? Because you're not actually in control 100%. But I think we go along in life thinking we are in control, but there's all these outside factors that can come into play that can impact where we're at and can actually impact our plan. And there's a lot of financial risk to that, especially if you're an entrepreneur. For sure. And I also think it's it's interesting to note that, you know, you say you're never in control of sort of what the other person thinks, you know, in, in any relationship. But, you know, there could be kids, there could be aging parents, there could be, you know, this, this life crisis that happens to you, you know, generally sucks. But you also are, are then dealing with other third parties. Maybe that's an ex-spouse, maybe that's, you know, your your kids, if there's been a, a spouse who's, who's died dealing with you know family friends and you're trying to manage your emotions you're trying to manage their emotions and so there's all these wild cards that you know just get stacked one on top of another that make it really difficult number one to think clearly number two to kind of think beyond the next 24 hours and then you know to implement a plan that you've never thought about is really challenging i think so i am hundred percent in your camp about let's plan for the unexpected and if it doesn't happen okay well we've maybe spent a little bit of time you know thinking about things that that aren't going to happen but the the worse you know the, the reverse of that never having thought about it and just like trying to trying to problem solve at the time i think is a far worse position to be in than to have spent some time when you're calm or when you don't have these other things you know going on and then you can be really thoughtful about what you want to happen when things you know don't go well and then you can still adjust your plan but at least you, you you've got a starting point right yeah and i think when we talk about planning there's a lot of eye rolling that happens because it's such a huge like people say plan, it's like, okay, great. I can plan, but how do I even do that? Where do I start? Because if I haven't dealt with, if I don't have a will, if I don't, um, if I really haven't done any retirement planning, if I don't have a shareholders agreement, blah, like the list goes on and on and on and it feels overwhelming and super hard to do any of it. And all I would say to that is you got to chunk down your life and and just come up with a planned plan. So maybe the one thing yep. you're gonna try to do in the next three months is actually get a will in place, right? And maybe that's the one thing and that's the only thing you're gonna worry about. And you're not gonna let all these other things that you have to do get in the way. Because I think if there's too many things to do, you actually get nothing accomplished. I, I agree. And I also I also think that um, if you if you leave it and then all of a sudden whatever the crisis is occurs, your ability to be resilient is is it's just like it's just like they cut it off at the knees because there's so many other things that are you know that are going on that 
it's it's very difficult to kind of problem solve or navigate your way through that. Whereas if you have a plan, maybe it's not a perfect plan, there's probably no perfect plan. But if you've got a plan, you've got at least some steps, some concrete things to kind of move you along. And I think that once people get into the mode of, okay, I know what I'm gonna do and I, I have, you know, I need to take this first step and I can evaluate then, at least it calms you a little bit to think, you know, to think through the next steps and then to adjust. But I think your ability to be resilient is far greater if you've if you've thought a little bit about you know what that what that might look like yeah and then i think um one other thing as you're just talking there is i'm thinking um i'm thinking about myself and and how when let's say you're not a planner by nature like it's just not who you are you yeah. need to be self-aware identify that and then bring in someone who can who can help with that um it's yeah. like i was thinking about myself and working out not a fan of working out don't love it but i need to so i have a trainer that comes to my house and hell or high water he's there 6 a.m and yeah. it forces me and so that but that was something where i had to go look this isn't the love of my life i don't really like i'm not thoroughly jumping out of bed to go work out so i need to put things i need to put things in place so that i actually do it and accomplish it and i mean yeah. i'm fortunate i have the financial resources to have a trainer come to my house and i realize that's not everybody's situation obviously but there are other things i'll give up to be able to do that because there's other things that i'm much more eager and willing to do without needing help <laughs> But that one area in particular, definitely need to pay someone to help you with that. I want to um, shift a little bit because one thing that, you know, death and taxes are the, are the two certainties in life for sure. And so we've talked kind of about, you know, a divorce or some of these things, but what's your experience when, when someone loses a spouse from a life transition perspective and the financial circumstances and the, the shift that that changes. How do people prepare for that? Um, I think if we got more specific and even brought it down to like, let's say gender, like I've done obviously tons of research yeah. around the female side of widowhood, if you yeah. will. And, um, and the impact that uh, you know, death of a spouse has on, on women in particular. Um, I think this is changing, you know, within generations, you know, the younger generations will, will be able to handle these situations and know more about the finances. But really what's happening nowadays is that in a lot of cases, women are not as involved in the finances. And now I think there's more awareness of that, which is why women are becoming way more involved in the finances and also and also have been working for forever and all of these things. But what's happening to women who are, say, in their 70s, 80s, 90s is they really haven't been as involved. So when they lose a spouse, it is a huge it's a huge life change, like to the point where they don't even know like where they bank or different right. things like this. And, and that, right. if you think about losing, say the love of your life and someone you've been with for years and years, and then on top of it, you've got all the financial uncertainty and the statistics do show us that women will generally speaking um, have less money. They'll have some financial challenges when their spouse passes away. And that could be for whatever reason, like maybe there was a pension, but only 60% is going to pay to them. That might not even be something that was, you know, that decision could have been made at 55 and now at 80, you've forgotten that, oh, that pension, 40% of that pension is going to go away. One old age security right. payment is going to go away. Right. CPP is going to, right? And that's where the, that financial burden can become a reality. And who wants that when they're at a later point in life? 
Of course. And when they're grieving and when they're dealing with, you know, all of the, the changes of, you know, maybe they have to downsize or whatever, right? Like there's a lot of things to deal with and maybe they're not in, in the best of health either, either emotionally or, or physically or both, right? Yeah. And that's where you also see the, I think there's um a lot of stress that I'm seeing from millennials that are getting to the place where they're realizing, even from a financial perspective, they are going to have to take care of their parents or they are going to have to help Absolutely. them because they didn't save enough for retirement or right. they're running through their retirement savings a lot faster than they expected. So I think there's um, challenges as people get older is, is the fact that the kids look and go, well, I might have to step in and actually financially help. And hopefully they're in a position to do that because otherwise it's sort of a devastating situation, right? Where someone's 75 and they realize they are only going to have enough money until they're 78. And these are realities that happen every single day, but we just don't talk a lot about it because who wants to talk about that? I'd rather talk about, you know, what's going on in Instagram. And so it's, of course, yeah, but it is, um, uh, you know, as I, as I work with clients and as they get older, these are real things that happen all the time. And it's like, how do you plan for those things? How do you at least know that there is a possibility that 10 years from now, part of your income may need to have to go to help your parents? I think it's a, number one, it's a, it's a growing problem. And certainly as the population uh, ages and the population, as we live longer, um, that problem becomes compounded even more. And then you know, with some of the things, certainly the COVID pandemic has highlighted, you know, lots of job losses, lots of, of uncertainty, lots of, you know, maybe different thoughts about whether they want to put mom and dad in a long-term care facility. And, you know, all of those things I think are, people are rethinking, but there are financial consequences for each of those decisions, uh, definitely uh, along the way. How do, you, how do you, like, if you think about a millennial, or you think about somebody in their, you know, their forties or fifties, then they, and they're starting to have those thoughts. What, what can they do? Like, what are some, some things they can do from a planning perspective um, so that they don't end up uh, in their 70s, realizing they only have enough money to live for another two years. Yeah, well, I think the first part is, I think it's something like less than 50% of Canadians actually have a plan. And a plan doesn't have to wow. be like this 20, it doesn't have to be like this 25 page document. It can literally be, you know, there's this book um, by Carl Richards called One Page Financial Plan. And it's, it can yeah. be exactly that. It's literally, you at least have some awareness of the financial situation and how long your money will last or the savings that you're doing today um, or the investing you're doing today, what will that look like for you? Or even understanding your employment benefits, right? That's These are right. all things that a lot of people just don't even really consider. They Or they think, well, I am coming into an RSP through work, so I'm good. Like, I don't need to, like, that's all taken right. care of for me. So right, part, of yeah, so part of it is if, if you do have a plan, you can, you, you can literally see in the numbers really quickly how long your money could last. And, but some people don't want to know the answer to that question. One of the biggest, like, there's two major questions I like to ask people when I'm, when I'm kind of quote, interviewing them to potentially be their financial advisor. And it's, and it's, you know, what is your biggest fear? And a lot of people don't know the answer to this, but I'll say to them, what is that thing that kind of keeps popping into your mind? It's kind of a little bit of a worry, but you just kind of keep pushing it back. And when I ask that question, it tends to be you know, what's keeping people up at night. And it's, I'm worried about my parents' financial situation. I'm worried about being able to pay my house off before I retire. I'm worried about, um, you know, getting sick because both my parents had cancer in their fifties. Like these are the types of things that once you start dealing with those little, these the little things in the back of your mind that don't seem like a big deal, but if you can actually go after that head on and deal with that, 
the anxiety levels go way down and you actually can sleep better at night is the, is the reality. But sometimes these things play in our minds and we don't realize the impact they're actually having or what we need to do to kind of calm those those feelings feelings down and just um, talk to someone about them. And again, that's where the planning comes in because that planning helps to solve and answer those questions. Yeah, uh, and I think I think it also you know highlights the let's let's worry about the like there are some things that you can control and you can put a plan in place for the things that you can control. You can't control whether you're going to get cancer in your 50s or your 60s or whatever. Like I mean, maybe some lifestyle things you can do to to try to minimize it, but you can't control all of those things. But you can control your reaction to you know these events, and so I think that goes to you know identify the problem and then you know think about think about putting a plan in place i i really like i want to just pick up on the comment that you made about when you interview um you know prospective clients about whether you're going to be their financial planner i think it's really important for people to think about that right you want a relationship with your advisor being somebody that you can trust, being somebody that you can, you know, speak to, being somebody that you can have those tough conversations with. What is it that keeps you up at night? And I think that we, we touched on this, I think, in our in our earlier conversation, where sometimes you fall into these relationships because it's a relationship that you know has been passed down or that your parents had or whatever. But you need to really have a solid connection with your advisors, all of them, your your financial advisor, your lawyer, your accountant, because you need to be able to you know carry on the conversation as opposed to feeling like you're you're being lectured or feeling like you're being or, or their plan is being imposed on you. You you need to be a player, you know, at the table and, and really contribute to that conversation. And so I think it's interesting that you make the comment about, you know, you interviewing them. They should also be interviewing you to make sure that there's that that really solid fit, I would think. Yeah, and I think um, there's this whole like vulnerability that has to happen with with the professionals or anyone you're working with to that capacity. And so for me, I mean, my biggest thing is when I'm talking to someone, it's, do we actually connect? Like, do you feel like you can talk to me about anything? And I, I always say like, do you feel like you can tell me your dark, dirty secrets? Because there's gonna come a time where no matter what, whether you want to or not, that's gonna come out. And it's better that we can right. talk about these things openly. Um, Cause that's the only way I can assist you. And the other thing I like to say to people is, it's your money and your life. Like I'm just, yeah. I'm just here, you know, here, I'm here for a good time, not a long time, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, right. I'm here, I'm here to do the best job I can for you. But at the end of the day, you have all, like, it's, it, it is your life and you have the control. And I think we spend a lot of time, especially, especially being a financial planner at heart. We don't, you find like we're spending so much time looking back at the mistakes we've made um, and wishing we could have done things differently. And then we're looking forward to what we're planning for, but we're never like in this moment. And it's true. it would be, it, I think that part of my job as well, which, you know, really wouldn't necessarily show up on a resume anywhere, but it's, it's helping clients, helping people to realize that we can do all the planning in the world. There's, there's, there's shit that's going to happen to us that we just couldn't have planned for. So we do have to spend some time just having, spending some of our money in today, having a good time today, but also not putting the blinders on to be okay that we haven't done any planning or we haven't thought about anything in the future, or we haven't considered the mistakes we might've made in the past that we don't want to, um, that we don't want to recreate uh, for ourselves. Um, an example would be when someone gets divorced, we've seen this, like we've seen this with, I'm sure you've seen this with friends, with family, you know, they, they get divorced, but then they kind of remarry the exact same person. <laughs> like this yeah. happens all the time. And yeah. it's, and it's because we, maybe we didn't take the time to reflect on 
what didn't work or what did I contribute to that situation that maybe wasn't that awesome? And how do I not, you know, go down the exact same path, but actually go down a path that will be, that will be better for me. So I'm not in the same situation in five years or 10 years. For sure. For sure. I think there's a parallel to, I mean, obviously this is a complete generalization, but I think that there's a parallel to sometimes with serial entrepreneurs who maybe have a business that, that fails for whatever reason. And, you know, of course that's devastating. Then there can be obviously these big personal financial consequences to that, but then, you know, they have the next million dollar idea and they're gung-ho about that and they want to jump into that. And, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think there's that, that bias towards action. So it's better for me to be doing something to, than to be sitting back and sort of things. But then, you know, two, three years late down the track, they, they find themselves in a very similar situation to what they were in before. And so they keep sort of maybe not the exact same mistakes, but, but they keep doing what they know, as opposed to maybe being a little bit more reflective about well, what can I do differently? And how do I, how do I be resilient about, you know, these things, these things moving forward? There's like an identity crisis that goes on all the time, right? So like with business owners, they'll decide, um, let's say they just worked really hard. They've, they're kind of at a place where there's, it's been stressful. They're just, it's time. Let's sell the company that they sell the company to get a check. And instead of like letting it settle a little bit, giving it a little moment, it's, it's like, there's this identity issue of, well, no, I'm a business owner. Even though I decided I was going to retire and sell my business, I'm now going to jump into the next thing. Um, so I see this often where I, I just tell, I tell people the six month rule, just if you're going to be retired, be retired for six months before you do anything. Um, And a lot of people can't do it because it's just, it feels unnatural. If you work for 40 years, it feels unnatural not to work. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I think, I think that you see that, you know, when we talk about these life transitions, if you have a spouse, for example, who has, I don't know, has had cancer or who has had dementia, for example, and you are the spouse who has been providing care for them and they either go to long-term care or they die. You have like your role for the last however many years has been so tied up in that role of a caregiver. And all of a sudden, when that goes away, you, you know, for whatever reason, you have to spend all this time thinking about, well, who are you now that you're not wearing the hat of the caregiver? Who are you? I think that, you know, those life, those, those transition points in life are get so wrapped up in who are you? Like, oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And if that's not part of your day to day, oh, I'm a caregiver, then then what are you left with? Right. And so how do you, how are you going to fill the void? How are you going to make sure that your identity is still intact when the thing that you have identified most closely with, you know, by choice or not, um, is suddenly gone. Right. And I think that those it's brief, right? And people don't like that. People don't want to feel uncertain. So they can jump right back into a very similar pattern because at least they know it, right? And they're comfortable in that space. Yeah. And sometimes we don't want to have to feel things like, um, I have a friend who just lost her dad. And for me, I think about when I lost my dad and how my immediate reaction was just bury myself in work. Cause I don't want to feel the feelings. I don't want to deal with the emotion of it. I mean, but then six to nine months later, it kicked my ass anyways. Right. Because these things just don't just go away. Um, eventually you right. have to kind of deal with things. And so, you know, I think from those situations, you learn that, okay, maybe I should have taken a little time to actually like allow myself to feel some things. Um, but it's, it's human nature would be 
to create a distraction, to jump into the next thing and to just keep moving forward. And I think that's, that's a good thing too, because it's about resilience and it's, and your, your body's doing that on purpose, but it's, I think at some point we got to be smarter than our own natural human behavior to say, okay, well, maybe that's not the best move at this exact moment. Let's shift the lens a little bit broader. Um, and talking about sort of transitions and, and you know unexpected things. And the world I think has forever changed now as a result of the pandemic. We won't go back to how it was exactly as before. And and I think that in many ways that's good. And there's definitely some some losses and some things that uh, that we will miss. I'm curious to hear your views and your sort of you know perceptions or, or predictions on how the economy will look differently and what the stock markets will look like post-pandemic and how do we how do we cope with that what 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 does that mean for the individual person yeah talking about the economy i don't want to bore the audience too much um, on the topic but i think what's really happening is we have seen technology evolve you know 10 15 years ahead of schedule because of, of the pandemic yep. we've also seen generations that were very computer shy if you will and or uh, reluctant to do things online now very very willing to do that so if you think about how is it going to impact people walking into stores how is it going to impact uh, online shopping how is it going to impact um even i think about even my myself like who's going to come see me in person anymore? Am I forever just a Zoom? Like, am I just forever going to be on Zoom? (laughs) And how do I feel about that, right? And so I do think there will be, when I talk about that, it's, okay, that just means I have to be really trying to get more people to come back and do some things in person. But I think there will be like a good balance that at least now people are willing to do things online versus before when they weren't. Um, But I think we're going to go into, I would call it more of a tech economy. Um, I think where people make money in the future in the market is going to look different. I think the volatility in the market could look different. Um, And then I think there's also the added we saw interest rates go to an all-time low. And right. if people think that they can sit in a lot of fixed income or bonds the next five or 10 years, and I'm speaking more to those that are retired already and really are dependent on how their investments perform to make sure they have enough money for their lifetime, I don't think there's enough conversation happening about, I think there's gonna be a lot of people looking back in five years going, wow, I really should have changed the asset mix of my portfolio. And I never did get that advice. Um, And then I think the world of people going online and trading and feeling because returns have been easier the last 10 years and specifically the market's been extremely good this last couple years simultaneous with people getting comfortable with online i'm a little concerned that maybe people will go online thinking that this is that it's easy it's easy to make money and that's a very that that overconfidence can be extremely problematic when it comes to your finances and do you think that people um people will think that they can you know just take a i don't know 20 minute online course about how to invest or whatever and, and be an expert and so you know get to that point with the overconfidence they'll get there faster because now courses are available online so much easier so much easier to access there's lots of free stuff available sometimes you get what you pay for and so that free advice might not be you know the best advice and so are you are you thinking there could be a trend away from using professional advisors um, to help you with those things because you just think you can do it yourself? 
I think there will be. Like, I think that we were always kind of going in that direction anyways, as more and more online platforms have rose. But I think there's also the opposite happening too, where people are actually seeing, okay, maybe there is some value in having a professional advisor in this space. Um, so I think what's happening is people are feeling they can make that decision a little more clearer now. I'm actually all for, I mean, the more that people do the 20 minute online courses about investing, I think that's all good in a way because at least they're being proactive and trying to learn. And, and there's, you know, the more, you know, the more you, the more you're educating yourself, the better, but it's really being, um, I think it's being aware of okay, I might think I know everything about the topic now, but in reality, do I? And I think just being really honest with yourself. And I hope that anybody that's gonna go online and start investing for the first time, I hope they make their first mistake really small and they learn from that right. rather than make it really big, right? Yeah, and and, and remember the rule, diversify, <laughs> like please. Yeah, <laughs> By yeah, all means, sure. remember that. <laughs> For sure. If you remember nothing else, please remember. Yeah, please remember the word diversify. <laughs> you know, I think um, I, I see that in, on the, you know, on the business side as well, where, you know, I've talked about how entrepreneurs are, you know, doing a million things at one time and, and a little bit of information perhaps can be dangerous. And I, I am in your camp that I think that the, the more access to information you have, the better, like nobody can ever take your education away from you. And so I think it's, it's definitely a worthwhile investment. But what I hope that does and what I see, you know, this is, again, a generalization, so there are some exceptions. But what I see is that the people who have spent the time, you know, taking a course or, or doing a little bit of reading, at least they come to you armed with questions that are relevant to them, as opposed to starting from, you know, from scratch or starting from ground zero. They have a little bit of familiarity, like let's say they've looked at, at what are shareholder agreements online. They have a little bit of a base knowledge. And so you can much more quickly get into, well, how does this actually apply to you? So you might academically have learned a lot from, you know, the law firm of Google, and you might know some stuff, but let's talk about the practicality and let's talk about how this affects your particular situation. And so I appreciate when, when clients have done a little bit of homework and have come armed with questions of, hey, like I read this and this didn't make perfect sense to me. And maybe this applies in the US. And obviously there's, you know, there's nuances and subtleties and things. But I do think that the availability of information is good. Uh, but I do wholeheartedly agree with you that, you know, please get some, please know that you're out of your element, get a little bit of education and then, you know, and then, then you can work so much more effectively and efficiently with your advisor. Yeah. And I think the other piece is, um, unfortunately, in this world, there are a lot of people, especially from a financial perspective, trying to take advantage of people that don't have as much knowledge, perhaps in the area of finances. So I really think the great thing about researching anything online um, before you go and meet with any any professional by any means is you're you kind of get your BS meter going. So like you can know a little bit about pros and cons to, you know, what, what are the mistakes that are made when someone puts together a shareholders agreement? Then you go to a professional and you know a little bit about, you know, the do's and don'ts. And then as that's getting put together, you can, you'll actually really, I think, appreciate and understand that you are in front of the right person who should be doing this for you. Right. Um, Rather than going in blindly and just trusting whoever you're in front of. Um, And I think that's great on the investment side because, Um, investment advisors go from taking a mutual fund course that might have taken, you know, 
two months to complete to um, in this industry, having people with PhDs. So it's like, and I'm not saying education is everything at all, um, because I think experience is a huge factor in this industry too. But just kind of when you're in front of a professional, you just don't know, like you don't really know what to ask. You don't know what you should be looking for. So a little bit of that knowledge from doing some research on your, on your own before going in prepares you to ask the right questions, just like you were saying. For, for sure. And I think it goes back to the you know, comment about when, when you were saying how you want to interview prospective clients, if the clients come to you armed with a little bit of information, they, they have a much better chance of being able to interview. Are you, you know, number one, knowledgeable, number two, are you the right fit? And are you able to meet them where they are with their level of knowledge? Right. And, and yeah. just because you're, you know, you have a PhD doesn't mean that you aren't necessarily the best one to have the conversation, right? It is all about that fit and it's all about you, you need competence yeah. and you need that personal relationship as well. Well, thank you again for taking time to share with us today. I think that, you know, the lesson that, that I've certainly heard is that no matter what stage of life you are in and what your personal circumstances are, it's really important to start thinking about a plan. If it's going to be the one page financial plan or it's going to be the 25 page document, obviously, depending on your circumstances that, you know, that will change based on you. But I think it's really important to reach out, speak to your professional advisors and make sure that you have a plan that's working for you and obviously once you've got the plan in place in two, five, ten years, if your circumstances change, you can always revisit your plan and adjust as you need to. And and you should. Well, just remind our listeners where we can find out more about you. Yeah, so just Google Lindsay Sparrow. You can um I have a YouTube channel. You can find me um at by the latte. Uh B-U-Y, the latte on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I mean, it's pretty easy to find me actually, but I am an investment advisor with Wellington Altus Private Wealth. And then I also have a divorce company called Split Savvy, where I help people make really good financial decisions while they're going through that transition of divorce. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for, for joining us again today. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.